Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA Show. I am Noah Baker, and I'm joined, as always, by the man to my right. That's Dominic Salee. And we are here for another preview edition. Dominic, one of the rare times where the stuff going on outside of the octagon, probably, dare I say, maybe a hot take, is more important to the fight card that we're going to be getting on the weekend of. What do you think? Yeah, um, I would say so. I mean, let's just say in this preview episode, we're going to be doing a whole lot more recapping of news throughout the week than previewing of this card coming up. And that's no slide on the card. There's a couple hidden gems, but the news this week just didn't stop coming, Noah. It's, it's going to get a lot of shine today, I believe. It might be a little bit of a slide on the card, but we'll we'll give you the good good, the what's going on. The diamonds in the rough, all that. But uh, Dominic, overall, doing pretty good, right? You you feeling good? I mean, the weather's been nice. You know, probably a lot of golfing opportunities for you, which, you know, I hope. Uh, I I don't mean to put it so bluntly here, but I can't deny that I kind of hope you get a farmer's tan on your glove hand. Yeah, you know, I can't help but say every time I golf, I do monitor it closely. I make sure as soon as I get ready to go to the putting or the short chips, I take it off so I can kind of balance it out. But it's been a great week, feeling well and doing well. And the sun is shining, as Noah said. Tuesday morning until now has just been an absolute whirlwind of a week. I mean, it's I wake up and Francis has announced the uh, thing that we're about to talk about. No, no spoilers, right? For those that don't know, but uh, that happened. All the stuff happened with Dana and all the fight announcements. My my man Posty Maloney's announcing new singles, new albums, a new tour date. I got the girly coming home for the weekend. We've got a podcast to record. It's been a pretty, pretty crazy week. Oh, and. The first swim of the year, so spring slash summer, occurred today too. It's just, it's a, it's a good week, Noah. And now I'm with you, my other half. Did, did you really just say no spoilers in the episode that we're going to be talking about it anyways? In oh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get ahead of myself before we got into the topic. You know, like spoil it for us. You know what I mean? Anyways, uh, I'm going to remind everybody <laughs> that. You can follow us as a podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at the Vajma, the B-A-J-M-M-A. You can also follow Dominic on Twitter or Instagram, at Diesley14. And you can follow myself on Twitter or Instagram, at Noah Baker MMA. Also, all of those, I believe, are the same on TikTok as well. So go follow us on TikTok. Um... Twitter will be important if you want to follow our full Blazing Bets segment of the show. We'll obviously talk about what we have here today. But over there, we're doing live bets. We're getting crazy. We're down five units. We're trying to come back with a live bet that's like plus 400, two units, and we miss it as well. So a lot of fun over there. We're trying to get better with the Twitter game. So be a part of the process. Be a part of the journey for us becoming really good at the social media thing. And uh, I'll also go ahead and plug real quick, Dominic, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you very much. This is, of course, your video version of the podcast. And I guess if you're listening on audio, we want to let everybody, it is kind of awkward. It's going to be redundant for if you're listening on audio, 
You're going to be like, why are they telling me to go to the audio? If you're listening on YouTube, you're going to be like, why are they telling me to go to the YouTube? We have a YouTube podcast on YouTube. The Below Average Joes is simply what it's called. If you go to Spotify or Apple, you can listen to an audio version of the podcast. Uh, the Below Average Joes MMA Show is what that's under. So make sure to go there. All of those. Follow us. Like. Subscribe. Ring the bell. All of that. Dominic, did I hit everything? I know that was a little redundant with the plugging, but we, we really want to get those audio numbers up. So if anybody prefers, like me, listening to podcasts on Spotify, on Apple, just want to let you know that we're there. Yeah, 100%. You hit it all. Now let's hit this stuff. Well, Dominic, the world came crashing down this week. The MMA world that was. We finally got our big announcement, and while... It was exactly the announcement most thought we were going to be getting. It did hit us with a few surprises in this in this release as well. So I'll set the scene real quick. Francis Ngannou, the perhaps biggest free agent in a long time in MMA, has officially announced that he has signed with the PFL for an MMA deal, essentially. Um, with that, we don't know the exact terms of the contract. I believe it is either it's between a two and three fight deal. Um, I believe he said that he was making high seven figures. So, you know, around that eight or nine million maybe per fight. Um, along with that, Dominic, he is going to be competing in that pay-per-view super fight division. And what that means is any card that he's a part of, he will get 50% revenue share of revenue generated from those fights that he's a part of. Um, he was also made the chairman of PFL Africa. He will serve on the advisory board for fighter interest. And a little bit of an underrated part of this here, Dominic, any and all opponents that Francis will face in the PFL must be paid a minimum of $2 million. So that's that's a lot that I just threw out there. And I I mean, I'm kind of missing the, the big, there's a but to this, right, Dominic? So I just gave you all this stuff. It's like, wow, look at all this stuff. But he's not going to compete until probably mid-2024. So I've just put everything out there. The good, the bad, all of that. Dominic, we've, we've been talking about Francis for so long. We went from thinking, hey, man, you're making the right move to, oh, Francis might be fumbling the bag. As you sit here today, Dominic, first impressions of this contract for Nganu. Yep. So for, for Francis, this is incredible. I mean, this is... Um, like never before seen type of shit in this sport of MMA. And I saw a lot of people, prominent people, I should say, in the space, giving him a lot of props for putting, you know, this on display and letting these fighters know whether they're stars in the UFC or up and comers in the UFC or on the regional circuit. It's like, you know what? If you can kind of just grind, stay steady, believe in yourself, trust yourself, bet on yourself. Things like, I'm not saying everybody's going to get this, 
But, you know, that's the type of precedent that he really set here. And just uh, really, he wanted to represent MMA athletes. And I, I believe that to my core. He It was never about who he did and didn't want to fight or anything like that. People still are sharing that narrative. Bullshit. This was about him betting on himself and wanting to represent his community of athletes and his fighters. And he got the job done, man. This is crazy stuff. The freaking the the pay-per-view splits and the uh, his opponents getting a bag full of money being a spearheaded um chairman for pfl africa even though they broke into europe this year now they got their next region he's going to be an advisor for other pfl athletes i mean i can't find a negative for francis but i can't help but wonder noah and you posted on our twitter shameless plug at the bajma above my head again you said everybody's talking about this deal from Francis's perspective, but no one's talking about if this is a good idea for the PFL. And I love that viewpoint. And I want you to share that and elaborate that for the people. Well, thank you, Dominic. You're kind of rolling out the red carpet for me. I will just say, yeah, I completely agree. Like based off what Francis had kind of said he wanted, right? Based off of what he said he wanted to get out of his next contract. He literally cannot lose. He can't lose here. The only thing that will make this better is if he boxes between now and that first MMA fight. That's the only thing that, for him, could probably satisfy him more. At the end of the day, the worst thing that comes out of this, Dominic, is he gets a bag full of cash for a couple fights, and he can say that he's stuck to his core values and you know, probably feel pretty good about that. For the PFL, however, Dominic, worst case scenario that can come from this is a, I guess, complete crack in the, everything they've built, a complete downfall of their entire infrastructure. I mean, I don't mean to sound dramatic, but for the PFL, this is a very risky move. I mean, let's not look past the fact that this is a promotion that while we very much enjoy the product they put on up to this point, they're operating at a deficit they've never turned a profit as has pretty much every other mma promotion that's not named the ufc so they're pouring a lot of money into this Nganu contract making a lot of promises including paying his opponents two million dollars allowing him the freedom to go box talking about building pfl africa that's not going to be a cheap investment either so, Dominic, they are putting the the pieces in place to really take this thing to the next level, really become a competitor in the marketplace. Now it's just about where those next pieces go. It's kind of like a game of chess, right? Like they're getting their pieces out there now, but whatever moves they do from here are ultimately going to determine it from their perspective. I love the balls of this move. I really do. I feel like this is the kind of move that a promotion has needed to do in order to kind of establish themselves as more than just a B-tier promotion. This is the kind of move that we honestly have been probably low-key frustrated with Bellator for never doing. You know, Bellator had its place as the number two promotion, and they never seemed to care all that much about becoming more than that. The PFL is kind of saying, fuck that. They're getting big investors from across the world. And now they're investing it into the talent. You got PFL Europe. 
You're doing a pay-per-view super fight division, which, yeah, all of this, some of this could work. Some of it could not. All of it could work. All of it could not. But I do appreciate the balls on the PFL to at least make that leap, much like Francis himself had to do to set himself up for life here like he's done. With that being said, Dominic, I want to focus on that opponent contract kind of clause in his contract where his opponents will likely make uh, or will make a minimum of $2 million to fight him in MMA. The question has to be, there's nobody in the PFL right now who feel like they would, A, be worth that type of money or B, be even able to sell the kind of pay-per-view with as the B side to make that even worth it to be paying Francis as much as he is. So kind of give me your thoughts on that and like what, what kind of opponent we could be looking for, for his first fight. The only opponent in the PFL that would make any sense would be the winner of this year's heavyweight season. You know what I mean? Like other than that, who else is there? And if, I know that there can be other free agents throughout the remainder of the year. I don't know everybody's contracts and Pia or in UFC and Bellator in one, all that crazy stuff. But that that's the only clear option would be the winner of this year's season. And shout out to them if that's the case, because you're already making a million for winning the season. You're about to go make a couple million more if you fight Francis Ngannou in 2024. But yeah, no, other than that, do we just wait and see um, what free agents may want to take a leap? I mean, there could be some heavyweight free agents that are like, well, shit, I'll just go to PFL for a year and fight Francis one time and I'll make more than I have my whole career. I mean, maybe we see somebody do something crazy like that. Maybe we see this type of chance that Francis took happen more frequently with other fighters. But but that's the only clear option right now for a fight, no, would be the winner of this year's heavyweight season, right? Uh, no, I don't think anybody in this current season of heavyweight, I don't think that uh, any of those will be dramatically improved in their status to even consider them for this matchup. I think the truth of the matter is whoever is going to be fighting Francis Ngannou first in the PFL is currently not under contract with the PFL. I think that's the reality of the situation. I think that this is part part of the reason of putting this in Ngannou's needs. It's not just because Ngannou wants to get back to the fighters he's taking on and just his fellow fighters. PFL look at this as a smart investment because basically all these details are out there right now. And you just told every heavyweight across the MMA globe, hey, you can come here and fight Francis Ngannou for $2 million. Don't think that some of these guys in the UFC, in Bellator, in one, hell, even in boxing maybe. So... I don't know who it could be. You're right. There's a lot of contract, you know, mumbo jumbo that we are not privy to. So I have no idea who has that kind of contract status coming up. I will just say I firmly believe whoever he fights at this time next year will not currently right now be in the BFL. I like that. I I, I do. I really do. And I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I It's like... I, well, again, I can't even really pose the question of who it could be. I want to like exp guess and estimate who could possibly be near the end of a deal. Like if there's any 
high ranked UFC heavyweights that might come over or like a one championship champion or even or something like that. I just I don't know what's available or Bellator, of course, like. But yeah, I want someone like you said is going to want to take that chance and take that leap on themselves and get out of their current contract or play out their current contract as fast as possible so that they're ready to fight for the PFL in 2024, man. I'm really, really excited to just monitor this situation and like see who it could be. Because as you said, there's like no one right now. Yeah, it's it's tough, Dominic, because honestly, like I know this game moves so fast. You know, we what we talk about now, like the entire landscape of MMA, all the divisions, they will be completely flipped on their head by this time next year. It's hard to imagine anybody dramatically increases their value from where they stand now to where they would be able to return much of a dividend on that $2 million upfront cost. I mean, Dominic, heavyweights just ultimately, call it as it is, not a very stacked division in MMA. But even in the UFC, you look after John Jones. Like, don't get me wrong. People like me and you, we love the idea of Nganu taking on uh, Sergey Pavlovich or Tom Aspinall or Jailton Almeida. But dramatically increase their value that it would be of the equivalent of an Nganu Jones. I just don't really see that because, yes, Nganu has the makings of being a multi-combat sport superstar. You know, he he's already sort of been going in that direction in MMA. But what the knockout power that he possesses, the look, the story, the, the personality, he has all these things. But, Dominic, nobody's really been able to sell a fight by themselves. You have to have an interesting story that provides something in the selling of the fight. Like, you need that guy. It's hard to just buy a card because Francis Ngannou's fighting. So you need someone on in the other corner who is a credible threat and who can carry themselves promotionally. It's going to be a very limited number of people who can do that. So PFL putting a lot of their chips in the middle. It's just going to be a very small window for them to make it work, I think, in that in, in the first fight. Maybe they're thinking ahead. Maybe they're like, hey, the first fight we might have to operate at a loss on, but the over the course of the next year, year and a half after his first fight, maybe some of those people become free to their contracts and decide they want to test the waters. Yeah, Noah, um, could you see this as being a, a an opportunity where maybe even there's not even that one guy that will take that chance? What if there's a couple different fighters that want to jump ship to the PFL for this chance to fight Francis, but then all of a sudden PFL kind of has a little bit healthier of a heavyweight division as well, moving forward for other types of heavyweight fights on pay-per-views or even in their season. Like I think there's a world where they could get multiple people coming over and multiple signings for this division. And, you know, maybe they take turns facing Francis and then other than that, they do the season or something like that. Like that could be something to keep an eye on as well. There could be more than just that one fighter at a time to come over. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I think you're going to see if this works out at all for the PFL, I think you're going to see some very big structure changes to the way that they kind of do business. I mean, Dominic, the fact that they're implementing this pay-per-view super fight division, 
makes things pretty clear to me. I'm not sure if they'll ever get rid of these uh, season tournaments when Francis, by by offering such a great deal to some of these guys to come in and fight Francis and then ultimately stay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. One more thing, Dominic, before we move on, I do want to ask you about one more part of this kind of whole situation. Francis not competing in MMA until 2024. A lot of people, myself included, and I'm assuming maybe you as well, we kind of think that means Francis is going to really pursue a big boxing fight between now and then. So two-part question here. First part, do you think that's a good idea for him to take that more probably risky endeavor in the boxing before even making that PFL debut? And the second part to that question if he doesn't get a big boxing fight and instead we just wait to see him until mid 2024, making it over two years since the last time he competed, does that, is that going to hurt him as well? Give me your thoughts on all that. I think him doing boxing and like losing, let's say would not hurt him as much as just not doing anything the rest of the year. I, 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 then, you know, and for him, it's like, well, I can just go make a bag real quick while I'm waiting for PFL to find my opponent for 2024 as well. So I, I hadn't even really thought about that either, funny enough, until you brought that up. But now that you put it into my brain, yeah, I could definitely see him pursuing it, especially when it's part of his contract. PFL, no issues here, buddy. Go ahead and do your thing. We'll be waiting for you in 2024. Um, and you're more plugged into the boxing space than me. I did see where someone said they were kind of just withdrawing their name from the Francis Ngannou sweepstakes, if you will. So I don't know who's necessarily all out there to do it, you know, between now and December, let's just say before the end of the year. But I'm sure there's somebody that would maybe want to dabble into that for their financial gain, at least. So I think he probably should do that. Like if he just sits out and like they just bring him on a couple of broadcasts here and there, like, I don't know. That doesn't really do anything for me. I, I feel like we need to see him compete. We already haven't seen him compete in general in forever. Like, I want to see how he's looking physically. How's he moving? You know, I mean, he's like 36 years old now, too. So I kind of want to see him do something, Noah. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that's another part of that, Dominic, is it'll be if he doesn't fight between now and the PFL debut, that's two and a half years out of the octagon. I mean, that's, and at his age, I know he's a heavyweight, so they, they, heavyweights do tend to, you know, they can bleed into their forties a little bit, but it's just not a great recipe for him to come back and look as good as he did on his way out. I mean, that's, that's just the reality. It doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, but I definitely agree with you. I feel like, uh, He's definitely going to go full force into pursuing a boxing matchup between now and then. For all we know, I was kind of thinking in my head, Dominic, at work today, I'm like, well, maybe he's already in talks for a boxing fight and we just don't really know it. I do know that there's some of the money that comes into the PFL is from like Saudi Arabia, I believe. I'm not very smart on like investors and where that money comes from, but I believe the Saudis have, have a pretty big uh, interest in the PFL. That's why the PFL's uh, president or CEO or whatever his title is is speaking at like a, a Saudi conference at the end of the month. But um, those same 
in that same general region, you have a lot of Saudis giving big money to big boxing fights. And we've been hearing rumors of kind of the big heavyweight weekend or whatever that they were wanting to do that involves like Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, um, um, you know, all these other big Anthony Joshua, like, and then Alexander Usyk, like doing a big double header, maybe one of those fights Saturday and one of them Sunday. You know, I could totally see them also trying to be talking to Francis right now, like, hey, maybe you fight someone who's like a step below those four. That's the thing. Let's try to, as a, the fan base, I feel like if he gets announced for a boxing fight with like a Dillian White, you know, a guy who's like outside the top four, probably in that five to eight range at heavyweight, I feel like you're going to see a lot of the same fans on Twitter who are attacking him or at least acting like this is at all a failure of a, or a, a missed opportunity for him to go to the PFL. I think those same people are going to be saying, well, look at that. He couldn't get a fight with one of the real top guys in the heavyweight division in boxing. So I think as a, as a collective, we just need to keep our expectations in check because he did call out Tyson Fury, though, on Twitter today. But, you know, it's just the longer it goes on, the less likely it looks like any of those real top guys are going to want to fight him. Because truthfully, Dominic, some of those guys at the top, they don't seem to really want to fight anybody. That's the problem. So, Francis, you you want a box? This is what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of, uh, of guys that are talking like they want to fight you. And then when it comes time for contracts to be signed, all of a sudden, there's rematch clauses. There's, oh, this fight needs to be under this promotion and aired on this network. And then the other networks, like, no, I want this fight. The politics of boxing, Dominic, it is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's disappointing for me to hear because I'm more of the outside looking in on the boxing perspective. <laughs> and I'm on the MMA side wanting Francis to get into it. But I'm definitely intrigued. My ass will be watching. Hopefully something gets done. He can't sit on the sidelines, Noah. That That's not good for him. I don't think that's good for the PFL. The, the perfect storm for the PFL is Francis, I think, boxing and, of course, winning. You're not saying that's going to happen, but for the PFL's sake, winning a boxing match and putting him on some of their shows, some of their broadcasts, uh, hitting some PFL Africa content, whatever that could be. You know, Things like that would be like the perfect storm for the PFL side of things for sure. And this is a perfect segue, Dominic, because after Francis Ngannou made this historic announcement, it seemed like he was going to dominate the headlines all day. But man, Dana, Dana, he he holds a fucking grudge, doesn't he? Because it's he no decided, <laughs> yeah, there there ain't no coincidence on this one. On the very day. A few hours after this big Nganu to PFL announcement, Dana goes live on Instagram. And as soon as you see that, you know it's going to be good. But Dominic, I am still blown away by what we got. And this that's the whole fight announcements portion for today. Usually fight announcements is sort of after the cards and stuff. No, no, no. Dana announced the entire pay-per-view for July 29th in Salt Lake City, Utah, and two title fights for 292 in Boston, 
And I don't know if this was on the same live. I was seeing the clips on Twitter. I wasn't on the live because me and Dominic were trying to record a fucking other episode. And because of that, I didn't even see it. But he also announced that 290, or sorry, I say two, yeah, 293. I think I'm right. Yeah, 293 is going to be in Sydney, Australia, Dominic. And he wants Israel Adesanya to headline. Israel, Israel Adesanya said he's already doing it. So. Ooh, okay. Let's 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 slow down for a second, Dominic. You're getting a little ahead of yourself over there. So I'm gonna go through the fights. I I I'm gonna let you. I'm I'm gonna break them up by card here. How about that? I'm gonna break them up by card. We'll take all of Salt Lake City first. Then we'll touch on the Boston piece. And if there's anything to be said for Sydney, Australia, we'll do it at the end. Dominic, your main event. For UFC 291 in Salt Lake City, Utah, the BMF title is back. It was apparently vacated when one Jorge Masvidal walked away from the sport. He retired. Um, so because of that, we need a new BMF champion, apparently. So for your five-round main event, we'll see Dustin Poirier take on Justin Gaethje in a highly anticipated rematch. Co-main event. We are getting the light heavyweight debut of Alex Pereira, and he's taking on the only other man to beat Israel Adesanya in MMA. Jan Blahovich, the Polish power, is back. Then, Dominic, Paulo Costa is in your feature bout. Nope, he's not fighting Hamzat in Abu Dhabi like we've been hearing for months. He's fighting... Ikram Alaskarov, <laughs> a man who just made his UFC debut at the last pay-per-view. Then you have Tony Ferguson, which, I, I mean, I don't know if I should be surprised, but this is just a week after he was making some pretty negative headlines in his personal life. He's taken on Bobby Green who I think is now going by King. So maybe we just have to call him King now. I think he's changing his name or something like that. Anyways, uh, to open our pay-per-view card, how about Michael Chiesa? We were talking about him a little bit. He'd been looking for a fight. He's taking on loudmouth Kevin Holland in the opener. And Dominic, that's not all. Because Dana threw in a couple of prelims as well. At one time, this was supposed to be our co-main event. For the Vancouver card coming up in June. Steven Wonderboy Thompson and Michelle Pereira will now be on your prelims of UFC 291, if that doesn't tell you anything about the quality here. And finally, at elevation, you're getting the Black Beast Derek Lewis taking on Marcos Rogerio de Lima. I feel like I'm at elevation, Dominic. A big guy like me, I'm not supposed. To, I'm not supposed to be talking that much in a row. I mean, Jesus. Um, so that's seven fights right there, Dominic. I just, what are you thinking here? Like, because I don't know if this is all good stuff, but it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that's a that's a really good quote there. I think Noah. So, I mean, where do we begin? The it, it, first, all I saw was Gaethje Poirier five rounds, and I'm like, yes, please. I didn't even realize it was for the BMF belt until I looked at a, a little deeper. I investigated the graphics and I'm like, oh, 
Alrighty then, that's happening too. Um, I mean, I don't really care about the belt, it's whatever. But the fight itself, that's what we've been calling for. That's the fight that makes sense for both of those guys. It's a sick main event. It's a sick rematch. Five rounds between those two at elevation. Keep in mind, people, Justin Gaethje does train in Colorado. He's a bit more experienced with that than Dustin Poirier is. So if we get a five-round war, that could be interesting, something to monitor. But, uh, I mean, dude, like, I I'm not even going through a name of my favorites. I, I feel like I just have to touch on something on all of these almost. Like, Blahovich Pereira, that's awesome. Sign me up. I think that's a perfect welcoming for Alex. Jake Moore, our buddy, was talking about how it's all part of Alex's grand scheme to go beat the only other guy that's ever beaten Adesanya. I mean, Paulo fighting Ikram. Yeah, that was a Ikram. great observation by him. Yeah, yes, it was. Paulo and Ikram is like so random, but apparently the UFC is full bore on uh, Ikram because if he goes in and beats Paulo Costa, I mean, hello, welcome to the elite of middleweight and just your second UFC fight. Tony and Bobby Green is sick. Somehow those guys have managed to never fight each other. Kiesa Holland, I actually low-key really, really like that one. I think that's a really fun matchup. Kiesa ain't fought in a while. Kevin Holland looking to get into the rankings a bit deeper. We've already kind of talked about Thompson and Pereira when it got announced a while ago. Derek Lewis and Marcos shouldn't last long, and for their sake, they probably hope it doesn't because, as Noah said, it is at altitude. That could be very sloppy if it goes longer than one round. I mean – there's nothing that I necessarily dislike. There's definitely random shit for sure, but I mean, sign me up. Something's in the water at Salt Lake City, Utah, I guess. Yeah, what the fuck, man? This is at Salt Lake City. I mean, you look at last year's card, like, yeah, you had the Usman, uh, the Usman rematch with Leon Edwards, and that ended up being a massive moment and an all timer, you know. Now, Leon, of course, the champion, but you looked at the rest of that card, Dominic, and it was kind of weak. And I'm saying weak and in, in the kind of on the scale of UFC pay-per-views. I mean, a lot of good stuff on there, but you get my point. Here, I mean, this almost feels like too much, Dominic. I don't know what we did to deserve this. That's what I'm sort of sitting there saying. Um, but apparently, I just need you know what we need that we 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 just need Francis to keep making big announcements because the more he does, if that means we're getting more shit like this then I'm all about it. But no, um, that main event's perfect. I was hoping they would make it five rounds, whether it been a fight night main event, obviously not at the apex, a pay-per-view main event. You don't need the BMF title on this. Like, you don't need the BMF title. Do Am I mad that they're putting the BMF title on this? No, because, I don't know, it's something. Like, I, did, I wasn't mad at it when Masvidal fought Diaz. I actually think the physical belt kind of makes it feel uncool. Like, I thought the whole Diaz-Masvidal build, where they were talking about being the BMF and stuff, was really cool until they brought the belt in. And then you had The Rock in there, which I loved because I grew up being a wrestling fan. But, like, what does The Rock have to do with being a BMF? Like, if you were going to have the BMF from WWE come over to hand a belt off, wouldn't you get someone like Stone Cold Steve Austin? I don't know. But regardless, um, that's that's my rant on the BMF. I, I'm fine with it. It's cool. But I'm just glad it's five rounds and it's Poirier Gaethje. The fight's going to deliver. We know it will. And that co-main event, you know, this is an interesting one, 
Dominic, and I do really like it as a debut for Pereira, but it's not an easy fight for Pereira like at all. We, As we mentioned, Blahovich is the only other guy to beat Adesanya. So with a guy like Pereira, I think a lot of people are going to come in here expecting Blahovich to do similar, use similar tactics to beat Pereira as he did Izzy. But I will just say to combat that, Pereira much bigger naturally than Adesanya, a much more natural light heavyweight. So while Blahovich had a great game plan to utilize strength and his overall size advantage on Adesanya, it may not work against Pereira. It may. He still will have that wrestling advantage and be able to potentially take down Pereira, who we know is, you know, there's room for improvement on that takedown defense, but it's just a matter of getting it there before he's out cold because we know what Pereira is going to be capable of doing at 205 pounds. Paulo Costa, Ikram Alaskarov, weird one. But Dominic, you want to know what it reminds me of? Um, how about Sean Strickland fighting a bus, a literal big yellow bus on July 1st? So this begs the question, why didn't Paulo Costa get matched up with Sean Strickland and Abbas Magomedov get matched up with Ikram Alaskarov? This tells me, Dominic, the UFC are desperate or at least see the need for fresh contenders at middleweight. I mean, they're really putting all their chips into these guys to potentially make a big statement here. And then you're looking at like one fight or two fights away from a title. They really want to try to flesh out the future of the middleweight division, which, hey, I'm here for. I think it's an interesting move. I don't think I think it's a bit risky to put guys like Ali Skarov and Magomedov who look very talented and very good, but haven't fought the kind of competition that most would need to take on Apollo Costa or um, whoever, Sean Strickland. But it is interesting that they're going this direction and it does make the fight very intriguing because it's like it makes me think, Dominic, what do they know that we don't? Like, what did they know about Ali Skarov? Like, yes, he looked great against Phil Halls, but what did they know? They must think this dude's going to be an absolute stud. Same thing I thought of when they put Abbas Magomedov against Sean Strickland. It's like, what did they know that we don't? It's like what I say when Vegas puts certain odds out that look like super inflated and ends up being a rat line. I'm like, what do they know that we don't? What do they know? So that's what I'm doing here with this matchup. So, of course, I'm going to be invested. Oh, God, man. So many fights. I mean, Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green is fun. Um, it could be sad, but I hope for it to be fun. Michael Chiesa, Kevin Holland is a great fight. I have no complaints about that one. I have no complaints about Wonderboy Thompson and Michelle Pereira. I mean, that's a great prelim headliner. Are you kidding me? That's a great one for that. I mean, this is Stephen Thompson, a man who's fought for the welterweight title multiple times in his career. And then Derek Lewis, Marcos, Rogerio de Lima. Those boys are going to be preparing for five rounds or less or else the pizza's free because they ain't making it. They ain't making it to the bell, Dominic. They ain't doing it. It ain't happening. As a fellow big guy myself, I know damn well if I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, my ass is using those scooters to get everywhere. I ain't fucking walking. So um, that's UFC 291, Dominic. Anything else before we move on to Boston? 
on to Boston we go now because it don't it, it, the train don't stop. We got two title fights to talk about. Yep, doubleheader in Boston. Your main event it was uh, pretty much all but confirmed. Aljamain Sterling defending the bantamweight title against Sugar Sean O'Malley. Co-main event Dominic Do- Dominic from like eight months ago is jumping out of his shorts right now. Zhang Wei Li taking on Amanda Lemosh in the co-main spot. However, Dominic really can't celebrate it because about when Yan Nan won, he literally said, she, don't give her the title fight. He's like, nope, I'm jumping off the bandwagon. So that little fist bump you did, Dominic, you, t- you got to take it back because you jumped off the bandwagon. You're not allowed. You are no better than me who said – on a nice little episode of the show way back when. I won't tell you what. You guys go look for it. I said less than 0% chance that Amanda Lemos would be fighting for a title after beating Marina Rodriguez, and here she is. So I was wrong, but Dominic was just as wrong as me. How do you feel, Dominic, about this announcement? Yep. Um, So I am so happy for Amanda because I was – you know, again, months ago, I was calling for it, waiting on it to happen. She was the most deserving. And then Jan Jaunan went out and did what she did. And not only was it a huge win for her and a huge statement, but you had China versus China, just an absolute massive storyline extravaganza. If you were the UFC, I'm stunned here that they didn't go with that. I, I'm almost so stunned that I am wondering, Noah, surely this fight had to have and I, when I say this fight, I mean Zhang Weili and Amanda Lemos had to have already been close to being finalized. That's the only thing I can think of is why they didn't jump on this. Yeah, yeah. So now it's like Yan Zhaonan, are they going to hold her in case Zhang Weili wins? And honestly, like even if she don't, she should still probably be next at this point in this division after Lemos. And then if Zhang still wins, Yan will be ready to fight her. Like I don't know what they're going to do with her, but there's a hundred percent. This fight was already about to be booked official when Jan won a couple weeks ago. That's that has to be right. Otherwise there's no chance they would have booked this over that storyline. They could have had. Yeah. This is a big risk for the UFC Dominic. Cause if Amanda Lemos wins, all of a sudden you're looking at a, I believe it'd be a rematch with Amanda Le- or maybe not. Maybe they haven't fought, but Amanda Lemos will be taking on someone like Jan Jaunan, which let's be honest, Dominic, that doesn't I mean it's it's a great fight on paper, but if you're talking about any sort of crossover appeal or and I'm not even talking about the casual fan base, because there's a step between people like us who will watch anything that the UFC puts out, and then that casual fan who only tunes in to like Connor and the big fights, Adesanya fights. There is a fan in the middle who is very selective in what they'll watch. I would say that's kind of like what a lot of our friends are that we talk to. They're a step above a casual fan, but I think they would admit as well, they don't watch everything that the UFC puts out. And honestly, probably smart of them to do so. They're probably better people than us because they speak with their wallet, Dominic. However, I, I do think this that potential matchup, if Lamos wins and she takes on Zhao Nan, it doesn't reach any of those top two fans or the bottom two or whatever you want to say, the casual fan and that intermediary fan they're they're not tuning in for that fight. If you got Wei Li and Yan Jiao Nan in China, that's a massive fight. 
And Dominic, if Zhao Nan beat Zhang Weili in China, she's going to get quite a rub from that, being that it would be such a big buildup and such a big, impactful fight. You would have probably created somewhat of another, I don't know if I can say star, but at least someone like a Zhang Weili, like someone who I don't know if I can quite call her a star, but she's at least a bigger name than your average name in the UFC. And now you're kind of taking a risk by detouring for this card in Boston. Can I tell you why I think they're doing it? And maybe this is going to be a bit tinfoil hat, but I'm just going to put it out there. Maybe it'll make a good social clip. You ready for this? (laughs) Of course. I think that Dana, he was seeing red, you know, when this Francis announcement came out and all that came with it. I think he was so fueled by rage that he wanted to put as many fights out there on this live that he could. And Dominic, I believe that this main event that got announced isn't even finalized as of now. Aljamain Sterling was on Ariel's show, the MMA Hour, the day before this announcement all came out. And he said, oh, I'm going to get some x-rays on my hand next week. We'll go from there. I feel like it's too soon of a turnaround. So you're telling me 24 hours later, when he hasn't even got the damn x-rays done on his hand, that this fight's done and it's happening? By the way, Ray Longo had no idea that this bout was even announced. Dominic, I'm not confident that we're getting this fight on August 19th. I'm just not. I believe that they want this title on the card. I believe they want some form of the Bantamweight title on this card. But let me tell you what I think is going to happen. I think Aljamain Sterling's not going to be ready to go. I think whatever those, whatever the hand issue is, whatever those x-rays are, whatever he's got going on, I don't believe he's going to be ready to go. Unfortunately, his teammate Marab also won't be ready to go. So Dominic... That's going to set up nobody else but Henry Cejudo to step in and take on Sean O'Malley for the interim Bantamweight title. Hmm. Okay. You threw me for a loop there, actually, Noah. You did, because I thought you were going to say, Hmm. Aljo won't be ready. Hmm. We're going to have an interim fight. Marab will step in. But I guess then you do run into a problem, because if Marab were to beat Sean... You have Aljo and you have Marab, and they won't do that. So I guess now that I sit and think, it's like, yeah, that actually probably isn't the right move. Well, Dominic, Marab, Marab posted a video on his social media from his like hospital bed where he said, oh, the UFC never sent – he was saying it. He was talking to Henry, and he's like, yeah, the UFC never sent me a contract, so now you have to wait, saying he's not going to be ready for Boston because I believe he's getting some sort of operation done on his hands. So he's definitely not going to be ready. I'm just assuming that I don't think Aljo is going to be ready. This reminds me of when Jan and Aljo were supposed to fight the second time in Abu Dhabi, and Aljo was kind of telling everybody the whole time, like, dude, my neck is fucked. Like, I don't think I'm going to be ready for that, and he wasn't. And then you got Corey Sanhagen and Peter Jan on that card. I think a similar situation could happen here. I hate to to rain on the parade because it's such a great fight if it holds up, but I'm not confident it will. I think Henry Cejudo, even coming off that loss, as close as it was, he wants to be on this Boston card. I think he's going to be begging, 
Dane on the boys to give him an interim shot with Sean O'Malley. I could see it. I could. Triple C coming off a loss and still get a chance to get gold wrapped around his waist. Him and Sean have kind of already chirped at each other. Sean made it very clear to Ariel how bad he would want to fight Henry Cejudo because Sean thinks he can confidently like beat the shit out of Henry. That's me paraphrasing, but that's what he's thinking in terms of that matchup. So Sean wouldn't have an issue with who he fights as long as he gets a chance to be an interim champ. Henry obviously wouldn't care. Hello, you're coming off of a loss and you're still getting an opportunity. That could be it, Noah. I hope not. I hope we get Aljo and Sean just to keep the division rolling. But I like the tinfoil hat there. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you if you thought I was crazy or not. It does feel a bit tinfoil hatty, but I kind of put it together in my head, and I was like, do I really believe this is all good, what's going to happen? Maybe not. But as far as anybody on TikTok or anybody who only watches the clips knows, I really believe this, and it's going to happen. So, yeah, it's um, – I, I do think overall, though, Dominic, Sterling and O'Malley is a great main event for Boston. I think it's a great fight overall. You see the respect that I think people are starting to give to someone like Sterling at this point. Like, he is he is so just kind of honest and truthful with himself. You looked at that interview uh, right after UFC 288 where Captain Eric was interviewed by Ariel Helwani. And he was talking about how the pay-per-view buys were upwards of like 800,000. And Aljo goes, man, I was told we'd be lucky if we hit 250,000. Like some people might be frustrated with the, maybe the fact that he's not promoting himself or the, the fights the way that they want him to. But he just seems to be a guy who has been able to kind of be at peace with the fact that he's not this like sup- supremely um, – popular champion and because of that i feel like people are starting to like him more now as weird as that is you know back when a guy like i always compare aljo to like tyron woodley because you're talking about guys who at one time pretty on pretty champions that weren't very well liked by the fan base tyron woodley just never seemed to be able to come to terms with the fact that he was an unpopular champion you know he would lash out at the fans he would call the certain fans that were booing him racist and stuff like that. He just never seemed to be able to come to terms with it. Aljo at this point seems literally as confident as ever, as cool, calm, collected as ever. And he seems at peace. And honestly, I think it makes him even more dangerous because of it. Like he, I mean, he might, this is going to be his moment to shine. If this fight goes through, it's not an easy fight with Sean O'Malley, but man, what a win that would do for him. I feel like it's the win that would secure him in that best Bantamweight of all time discussion, be clearly the number one at that point. Yeah, right now, Noah, everything, and I love your points, by the way, on Aljo, and I agree, people need to show him more respect, and he's at the point now where, you know, yeah, this is a big fight, but Aljo's in the legacy part of his career now. We're talking a couple more title defenses. It's not even debatable anymore he can solidify himself as the best man in weight ever he could go up to 145 win a belt and put his name in the hat for one of the top 10 top five best ever like that's where we're approaching with sterling and if he has that inner peace of mind and recognizing who he is within this mma space and community that could be a dangerous man that could be a dangerous man set out to make some history Noah. 
Yeah, the last thing, we didn't have it on the script, but I do want to get your thoughts on UFC 293 being announced for Sydney, Australia. Israel Adesanya has said he will be main eventing that card. Dana, I believe, has even said that that's what's going to happen. We know we have a matchup on July 8th that has been said will determine the next contender for Adesanya's title. It's Robert Whitaker taking on Drickus Duplessis. My question for you has to involve if Robert Whitaker beats Drickus in that fight, which you know he's going to be the favorite to do. Can you really sell Adesanya versus Whitaker three? Like, does that a fight that people will really have an interest in? Um, I mean, like from a grand scheme sell in terms of like pay-per-view buys and stuff, it's probably hard because he's already beaten Robert twice. But being that they're going to be in Sydney, Australia, they won't have any problem. Obviously, they're doing stuff with those two guys in that region. Um, so I, I could definitely see a problem there. Um, if Drickus wins, you don't really have that issue. There's a huge storyline there. The hatred, I feel like, runs pretty deep at this point. Izzy said a couple weeks ago that he didn't even want to fight anyone else unless it was Drickus. So I'm still honestly surprised the UFC even booked Drickus and Robert. And a whole other thing, Noah, because again, you said that's July 8th. Well, this pay-per-view's in September. I mean, that's only two months later from that fight. I mean, that's a quick turnaround. I don't think Robert and Drickus are going to have some little thing where nobody gets touched. I mean, they're going to be clanging and banging. Someone's going to be taking some damage in that fight. Even the winner could be taking some damage. So I don't know, man. I, it, but you look at like Alex Pereira, he's fighting even later in July. So it's not going to be him again at like 205 pounds against Izzy or something. So like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's kind of a, uh, doesn't make sense for Izzy to be on that card, to be honest with you. Well, let me let me give you a couple scenarios here. So Whitaker taking on Duplessis. You nailed one of the things I was going to say. The UFC look at a third fight between Whitaker and Adesanya as big business because of where this card's going to be, Sydney, Australia. Robert Whitaker's massive there. Israel Adesanya's massive there. The first fight back when Adesanya beat Whitaker for the title was in Melbourne, I, be Melbourne, I believe. So obviously there's some history there. Um, if Duplessis wins, I mean, it's a fresh matchup. It's obviously a pretty heated matchup right now. It's really kind of going off the rails into some, you know, well, I don't know what you want to call it, some socioeconomic, political sort of factors that I'm not knowledgeable to because guess what? I'm not even knowledgeable of many of those factors in my own country. So how would I be knowledgeable about them for anywhere else? But, um, I think the UFC don't look at it as that big of a risk because of that, because it's like either way, you kind of get a good fight. The bigger risk is the timing and how short of a window you're going to have. I have no doubt if Drickus were to somehow come in here and starch Robert Whitaker, I have no doubt he'd be fine with turning around in a couple months to fight him. But if Robert Whitaker wins, if he takes damage, or even if he starches Duplessis, Dominic, this is going to be his third and likely last chance to fight Adesanya. You saw the amount of time he took to take that second opportunity. I mean, he took, wasn't it over a year off or close to a year off in order to prepare himself for an Adesanya fight? Maybe if I, I could be wrong, but I thought he might have even passed up 
an opportunity at one point in order to give himself more time to prepare for it. So all of a sudden he's going to turn around and fight Adesanya in two months. I don't think the UFC are super confident in that. I don't think Robert Whitaker is confident in doing that. But I do think they have a couple options if they shall choose to go in a different direction. The first one would be Dominic, those middleweight fights that I mentioned earlier, Paulo Costa taking on Ikram Ali Skarov, and Sean Strickland taking on Abus Magomedov. So often since those fights were announced, I've been thinking of them as like, wow, the UFC really believe in these guys who've only fought once in the company to hold up with the top 10. And I even mentioned about this idea of fresh challengers and contenders, and they really want to flesh out that middleweight division for the future. But Dominic, what if that's not what they're doing? What if they're looking to give Strickland and Paulo fights that are not easy because these are two tough guys that they're each going up against, but are not against each other for one. And it gives you a chance to where if, if those two guys were to win, if let's say Sean Strickland wins and Paulo loses, you could always pivot and have Sean Strickland step in to fight Adesanya in Sydney. And then if the reverse happens, maybe you do the Paulo Costa rematch. Like you have backup options there, but let's say Dana wants to stick to what he said, which was the winner, the winner of Whitaker and Duplessis will be the next middleweight title challenger for Adesanya, well then damn it, Dominic, my prediction's going to have to hit because Jamal Hill's going to have to step in and defend that light heavyweight title against Adesanya in the main event. It's, it's the stars are, this is the moment. This is the time to do it. Let's do it. Mm, mm, okay, so what you're telling me, Noah, is, is we got options. That's what you just told me there. You just named a shit ton more options than what <laughs> were on so. the surface so. of my brain. Um, okay. All right. All right. That excites me a little bit more. That excites me a little bit more for Izzy on that card. I mean, obviously the one with him and Jamal excites me the most. Um, uh, man. Yeah. Jamal still don't have a title fight. Does he? Hmm. Maybe. I mean, cause They're listen, on Yuri, but I don't think Yuri's huh? coming back this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's dig here because like you just said, Dana said, that Whitaker and Duplessis are the next middleweight title challengers. He didn't necessarily say their next fight or they're not Izzy's next fight. So maybe, maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe it's Jamal yeah. versus Izzy in September. No, I would love it because I said by Halloween, I think. So I, I that would, that would give me just enough time to, to reach that prediction. Um, but yeah, Dominic, yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much it, man. I'm already tired, but guess what, Dominic? It's time to preview UFC Vegas. What's the number again? 73, baby. They keep on churning. Man, thank you. UFC Vegas 73 headlined by a matchup that we were supposed to get last week on the Charlotte card. However, snowball effect from Juliana Pena being taken out of her title fight with Nunez has led to this being plucked from that card and inserted as a last-second main event for this card at the Apex. So Mackenzie Dern, your number eight-ranked fighter in the division, will be taking on number 14, Angela Hill. Mackenzie Dern, minus 170. Angela Hill, 
plus 145. So, Dominic, I'm going to do the math for you because we know in the past when you've tried to do the math on Angela Hill's fight career, it has not gone very well. She is 10 and 12 in 22 UFC bouts. That's typically a record that screams like, why is this person in a main event? You know, why is this person even still maybe even in the UFC? Some may say like a below 500 record is not very good. But Dominic, you know what's crazy is I believe eight of those losses are against current top 10 or top 15 fighters in the division. So it seems like for Angela Hill, as much as she's improved through her career, like to be honest, her last couple wins against Lupi Godinez and Emily Ducati, I see a much better fighter even at her age than she was kind of before COVID, like 2019. Like she has looked so much better now than she was then, so much more complete. But yes, I know some of those losses have been kind of the de- wrong side of decisions that a lot of people thought she won for beating Mackenzie Dern. She has probably one of the best jiu-jitsu games in all of women's MMA. Problem is, Dominic, she has not shown up to this point a adequate enough wrestling game to even threaten at times with the submissions. And while she's a tough chick, she can take a good shot, she can stand and bang a little bit, if she's going up against someone who has a more technical striking game, it just leads to what you saw in the majority of that fight with Zhao Nan. Now, I will say I've loved what I've heard from Mackenzie Dern this week. And really since that loss to Zhao Nan, she really seems to have taken that loss to heart and seriously and has really went back and tried to, you know, really dig deep and improve on some of those holes in her game that have been there and that she just hadn't quite taken the time to really kind of plug and figure out. So I actually really like Mackenzie Dern in this spot, but going up against a 22-fight veteran in the UFC, Dominic, who could exploit some of those holes if she hasn't quite filled them the way I'm hoping she has, what are you predicting here? Do you think Mackenzie Dern's been able to make those improvements, or is A, it's not going to matter because Angela Hill's that good, or B, maybe she hasn't. Yeah, no, uh, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say last call here for Mackenzie Dern. And now, li- hear me out here. I don't mean you know if you lose, it's over. I don't mean that. When I say that, I mean I got to see these skill sets getting polished up. I got to see you able to get people down, mm-hmm. so then you can display that world championship jujitsu. I got to see a little bit more uh, polished uh, polishness, if that's even a word it is now, if it wasn't on the feet, you know, she, like Noah said, she's willing to stand and bang. She, she's been in some pretty fun fights when they stay standing, but in this fight, Angela's a better striker. Um, it definitely a better striker. So I don't think that goes well for McKenzie. Even if she lands a couple big shots, Angela gets the better of her over the course of this fight. If it stays on the feet the whole time. Angela is also well-rounded though. Like it's not going to be an easy out if McKenzie can get her down, but that's the thing. If McKenzie can get her down, that's a good thing. That's something we've not really been able to see her do lately. So that's what I mean when I say last call, I want to see those improvements being made. You know, I've been a guy on here that's partitioned at McKenzie Dern. Um, I don't know what episode it would have been maybe in 2021 or into 2020 that she'd be a champion in this division. And right now she's sitting at number eight, 
She is good. She is a good athletic talent. If she can just make those proper adjustments at she's only 30, she's got time, but it, it it's, it's right now. This is where you turn the, the tide, you flip that switch speaking for Mackenzie Dern here. Who's lost two out of her last three. Noah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a tailor-made matchup for her to showcase that too because even though Angela Hill's very tough and a lot better than that record would suggest, the truth of the matter is even if she's been getting the wrong end of some of these decisions that a lot of people think she wins but she loses, she's still losing, Dominic. I mean, that's at the end of the day, yeah, you can say, well, look at how good of the competition she's been losing to is because like I said, I think it was 8 or 10 of those 12 losses are against current top 10 or top 15 uh, ladies in her division. But Mackenzie Dern is of that level. She is of the top 10, the top 15 caliber. Like if Angela Hill, she might be good. She might be someone who can fight up to her competition, but she's yet to show that she can clearly and cleanly be able to get past them. And I think that's going to hold true here with Dern. Angela Hill's not getting any younger. Mackenzie Dern's coming in here, big chip on her shoulder. She lost her last fight in need of a win. Angela Hill, back-to-back wins, maybe feeling a little confident. She's been talking a pretty big game this week, if you've noticed, Dominic. You know, she she was scoffing at the idea of Amanda Lemos getting that title fight, considering, you know, Angela Hill had dropped a very close decision to her. Um this kind of feels like the recipe, Dominic. If you remember, we've talked about this a few times. When fighters start speaking out against either the UFC or against you know other fighters in their division, kind of really trying to demand respect with their words, they seem to miss a little something when they step in the cage. It's like their focus is taken away from the fight at hand. And I do think a little bit of the same could be in play here for Angela Hill against a very... Very scary, Mackenzie Dern, if she can get you down. I like the narrative there, Noah. We, time's going to tell. This is this is make or break. I mean, really for both, but obviously more so at stake, I feel like, for Mackenzie Dern. But Angela Hill at 38 still shows that she's willing and ready to fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. So a, a win here says a lot for her as well. I'm excited for it. I really am. Yeah, with that, Dominic, I'm going to give you the task of – letting me know what you're most excited about for the rest of hashtag UFC Vegas. Uh, what was the number again? 73 Noah. And uh, you know, it's one of those cards, right? And I, again, with the utmost respect, I say that um, there's just, you know, on this show, we, we love talking storylines. We love talking narratives. This is one where you're going to be hard pressed to find, some good ones, some really pressing ones to break down, at least from a preview standpoint. Um, and don't get me wrong, come Monday, there could be some great performances that we get to recap. So for me, on this card, there's, I mean, there's names up and down that I, you know, like. There's fun fights, I think. But for me, I'm going to pair two of my favorite female fighters right now together and just talk about them, give them some shine. One is Lupi Godinez, and, you know, she's taking another fight on short notice. Nobody fucks with short notice loopy. I'm she 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 don't care what it is, what weight class it is. They're doing this at 120 pound catch weight. She'll fight anytime. I mean, she literally just fought not too long ago. So she's fighting against Emily Dakota, who we actually already talked about with Angela Hill and that fight that they had. Pairing Loopy with Natalia 
Silva Noah. We've both talked about her and how excited we are for about, about her. She was fighting on our way home from Bellator Chicago last November, and we got to kind of listen and hear about her during our drive back home. And before that, when she debuted in the UFC, she dominated Jasmine Jazuda Vicious. This is a very young girl at 26 years old who looks like a very fun, fresh face to this flyweight division that we hold so near and dear to our hearts. I'm excited to watch her go to work. Apparently, the odds makers are excited to watch her go to work because she is at minus 900 on the money line coming in to Saturday night, Noah. So we're going to see if I may or may not have dabbled with Natalia Silva, Silva with the blazing bets. But I had to pair those two ladies together. I love watching them fight. I'm excited for their futures. I wanted to give them some shine on this type of card. I'll, I'll pair up a couple fights that I'm very interested in. And I, I do think that co-main event between Edmund Shabazian and Anthony Fluffy Hernandez is going to be really fun. Um, Edmund Shabazian did get back on track after dropping three straight against, uh, I forget how to pronounce it. It's like Doucha Lungayambula or something like that. So he got back on track, got a finish there. But dude, Anthony Hernandez. Really coming into his own right now. And this and the line is really giving him that respect. He's like a two to one favorite against a guy like Shabazian, who just a couple years ago was being looked at as this very promising prospect in the UFC. It's an interesting fight. Um, clearly gonna be a fight that I think we're gonna be as a collective in the MMA space, probably really knowing which direction each guy's headed for. If Anthony Hernandez gets a big win here, it feels like he could really be something in like that top 15 range. If Edmund Shabazian gets a big win here, Dominic, all of a sudden he's starting to rebuild that that uh, that really high-level contender status that he once had. But if they lose, you get kind of the reverse. All of a sudden, Anthony Hernandez is just a guy in the crowd. I'm excited for Andre Fialo and Joaquin Buckley. I expect to be very fun. Andre Fialo for like the first half of 2022 was like one of the big surprises, one of the big stories that us hardcore fans were talking about. Unfortunately, he cooled off completely. He lost two straight. I think he bit off a little more than he could chew at the time by trying to be sort of take that Hamzat approach of like taking fights on very quick succession. And he got caught. He 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 really got caught going up against a guy like Jake Matthews, who just put on a master class against him. And unfortunately he couldn't get back on track in his next one. He dropped another knockout, lost to Muslim Salikov. Joaquin Buckley's lost two in a row, but we know Buckley is a, a probably more complete fighter than Fialo has, is going to be the bigger, stronger guy here, more power maybe, but uh, Fialo's got really good boxing. Buckley's not always had the best chin. I think that could be a very good fight as well. And then Diego Ferreira, Michael Johnson. It's hard to know for sure that Michael Johnson's a better fighter than Diego Ferreira. Because, Dominic, it was just a year or two ago, Diego Ferreira was like the, 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 the most kept secret of this division. And now he's lost three straight. And it's not been in the best of fashion. Michael Johnson's fight IQ has to be up the snuff or else he's going to get caught in a submission by Diego Ferreira. That's Diego's only way to win this fight. Michael Johnson's got to keep his head on a swivel. Yeah, no, I love all those points there. I love all those three fights. I think stylistically all three fights are fun. 
two of the three could even be borderline bangers. I definitely think Fialho and Buckley will be. It, again, it, it may not pop off the page at you for those listening that are looking at this card on, you know, at the names and the paper value, but there are potential matchups on here that can be very fun, very fan friendly. And no, I actually really like this card from a betting perspective too, because I know we're about to get into that. And with that, Dominic, we are going to move on to Blazing Bets, the segment where me and Dominic go head-to-head each week, giving our full list of plays. Um, These will be released on the Twitter as well, at the BAJMMA, as we said before on Twitter. Um, Whoever comes out with the better unit total for the weekend will get a point. Ultimately, the point of the game is that you do not want to be losing by the end of the year because if you are, that means you must indulge yourself into the B-Dubs Blazing Challenge. So, Dominic, right now we are tied one-to-one. I did get a big bounce-back win last week. I'm ready to carry it over into this week, but truthfully, Dominic, after looking at the slate, looking at the odds, Really digging deep. Let me just say, I think this week is one of the toughest I've probably ever had as a MMA gambler. What about you? That's actually crazy you said that because as I was segueing, I was I really like this card uh, from a betting perspective. So this is going to be interesting how we uh, kind of go here, how our plays uh, will go with one another. Now, Noah, since you won last week, do you want the tee box, as we would say in the golf world, or would you like me to go first and list off these plays. Stop bringing your golf shit over into the MMA space. If you guys want to go watch Dominic and JP and Branson do some golf content, go subscribe, like, follow on Twitter, on Instagram, all that shit. Battling for bogey. They're doing great stuff over there. I thoroughly enjoy watching it. I'm not just saying that because it is under the below average shows umbrella, which I am a co-owner of. So totally unbiased opinion there. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and go first though. With that being said, um, so I think I ended up with, let's see, how many plays did I end up with here? I actually ended up with seven. So even though I said that I ended up with seven plays, that's not like a huge decrease from where I'm usually at, but four of them ended up being parlays. I was really struggling to find like worthwhile singles that were really jumping out at me, but I'll start with those singles. I have three of them. How about it? Michael Johnson, money line, plus 135. Michael Johnson in an underdog spot just feels like a match made in heaven. And, you know, truthfully, I know what the outcome could be here. I know he could get caught in a submission by Diego Fajera. You kind of scratch your head going, why did he put himself in that position? But Michael Johnson in this underdog position has really rarely disappointed. He's... That, you know, we talk about how crazy it is that he's been the guy that's beat people like Dustin Poirier and like Tony Ferguson, but that's true. I mean, he's kind of always overexceeded as the underdog. He even really gave a tough fight to Justin Gaethje in uh, his debut back in the day. So even though he's a little older now than those wins, I think going up against Diego Fajera, who just I've not seen much life out of him at all over his last three fights. Give me that plus 135, a plus money play. I'll take it. I'm also taking Gilbert Urbina money line at minus 105. He's a sense essentially in a pick'em, but I value Urbina's losses a little bit more. 
He's fought tough for competition. He did get finished by Brian Battle, which we've seen what Brian Battle's capable of. And he lost actually an LFA to Sean Brady. So I, I sort of value the strength of schedule that Urbina's had through eight professional fights more than what Orion's been able to take on. And, you know, there's not much more that goes into it than that. It's essentially a pick em. I kind of felt the need to put another play on here, jump one side or the other. Not a ton of brain power going into that one, but Urbina money line. I'm going to ride it all day. Last single, Takashi Sato, Thimba Gorimbo, under two and a half rounds at minus 165. Uh, styles are kind of making this matchup to me, Dominic. Uh, Takashi Sato has all four of his last five, but we have seen one thing he can do is he can crack. And that one win in that span is like a one-minute knockout of Jason Witt. Thimba's a big guy. He's also got a lot of finishes in his career. I just think, Dominic, there's a recipe here where one of these guys is getting put out, whether it's with a submission, with a knockout. Very rare submissions, especially in the career of Takashi Sato. Thimba, maybe a little bit more prevalent, but still you're looking at like a 25% decision rate. It feels like a pretty smart play. At minus 165, yeah, you're giving a little bit, but I think it's probably one of the smarter plays of this weekend. Doesn't mean it's going to hit, but the recipe's there for it to be a pretty easy cash. Um, so now for the four parlays. Let's start with a two-leg plus 106 McKenzie Dern money line first leg. I am taking McKenzie Dern here. Um, I said it in kind of my breakdown of the fight. I think it's a bounce back opportunity for her. I think she's just better than Angela Hill. And ultimately, when you have that kind of submission threat, you know, Angela Hill's going to be on her, have to be on her P's and Q's for the entire fight. So, second leg, another fight that we talked about, Dominic. How about Ducati Godinez over two and a half rounds? This comes out to plus 106 ultimately. You know, this just feels. Again, you look at the the history of both these ladies. A lot of decisions. Ducati, 11 decisions in 19 pro bouts. Godinez, how about 10 in 12 bouts, Dominic? These ladies only go to decisions. I think it's going to be a tough fight, a gritty fight, as many of Loopy's are. But I don't see a finish coming here. I'm take, pairing those up for a plus 106 parlay. Second parlay, plus 113. I'm taking Anthony Hernandez money line. It just seems like Edmund Shabazian, even with that bounce back win, is so vulnerable still. He can't quite take the punishment. He's not a guy that's well apt to fighting on a ground for extended period of time. Seems like Anthony Hernandez is uh, due for a pretty big win here. Second leg, how about Mahe Shate and Slava Claus? Two guys that are powerful, that are long are big i think they're gonna crack and i think someone's getting put out so that's uh plus 113 two-leg parlay then i got a three-leg parlay fialo buckley inside the distance kovalkiewicz demopolis over two and a half and then natalia silva money line to just get it over to plus money at plus 101 you know i don't love doing a minus 900 on a parlay but what i hate more than that is having a minus money parlay. So I put it on there to get it the plus money. But the odds are plus 310 on the same game parlay, Dominic. 
All I need to happen is in that main event, I need McKenzie Dern to get one takedown in round one. And I also need the fight to end via submission. Give me your thoughts on my plays for the weekend. Mm, a nice little hefty, healthy slate from Noah. Tons of parlays. You saw how good that worked for me last week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. No, no bad vibes sending your way. I hope it works out much better for you than it did for me. I like it. I, I don't have a problem with um, a lot of those plays. And, you know, we do compete on a weekly basis now. And we are competing with one pick. So I'm going to get right into what that one is before I go into the rest. I do have six total this week. So the most I've had over the first three weeks of plays and bets. And uh, potentially a couple more to go. I still may dabble on a McKenzie Dern money line. Uh, a couple other things. There were a couple books that didn't quite have all the stuff that I like looking at. So I may add some more. But for now, I've got six. And I will start with Edmund Shabazi and money line Noah plus 187. We're competing head to head on that one. I know Anthony's on a parlay of yours, but I took Edmund straight up at plus 187. And it could definitely bite me in the ass. I, I, I've seen the weaknesses for Edmund you know, time and time again. And during that three fight skid that he had, but there was something about that break that he took away. He came back and did have that good comeback performance against Doucha and even got a finish in that one. And while I think Anthony Hernandez is good, he's not been insanely active, I guess either. And I still feel like there's something there left to be proven to me. So if this is the fight where he can do that, great. I'll bite the bullet on betting on Shabazian, but until I can get that proven from Anthony. I'm going to take a chance here on this one. I, I didn't think that line should have been that drastic. So I, I took a stab at plus 187 for Edmund. Uh, I guess I'll just hit money lines first then. The other one, uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz, money line minus 130. She looks, looks rejuvenated to me. This two-fight win streak that she had last year after she had that very bad losing streak from 2018 to 2021. She just seems so happy. It looks like she's polished up a couple of things, even at, I think, 37 or 38 now. And Vanessa Demopoulos, I'm just not very sold on her, Noah. I know she's on a three-fight win streak, but I don't view her moving up the ladder of competition much further than where she is. And while Carolina's not where she used to be, you know, fighting uh, Joanna for a belt, I do think Carolina is up the ladder from Vanessa, and I don't think Vanessa can climb to that tier. So I went with her at minus 130. And my third money line play is Lupi Godinez. I don't get a chance often. I feel like to get her at reasonable single value, but for this one, I was able to get that. She was minus 155. I just love every time she goes out and fights, even in these losing efforts. And Noah made great points. Like, can she just make the right decisions? Can she polish up not necessarily her skills, but her fight IQ? So maybe she can kind of streak that together, and I think we could have something special with her. So I like her there at that line at minus 155. That's it for the money lines. And then I have two other singles. I did go same exact play as Noah, as a matter of fact. Um, Takashi Sato and Garimbo under two and a half at minus 165. Copy and paste what he said. I mean, 18 of 21 ain't gone the distance for Sato. 16 of those under two and a half. 10 of 14 for Garimbo have not gone the distance. All 10 of those meet the under two and a half criteria. Like Noah said, it's a little chalky at minus 165, but it feels like just a very solid play to get that at under the minus 200, you know, Mendoza line that we don't like crossing for single plays. And then the last of the singles, my other favorite woman on this card, it's Natalia Silva. 
I took that minus 900 and I brought it way down to minus 155. Natalia Silva by finish. She's finished 11 out of 14 wins. And for Victoria Leonardo, all four of her losses have come by way of stoppage. I just really like Natalia. She looks like she has a very, very bright future at only 25, 26 years old. I love her in that spot. I didn't want to parlay the minus 900 because I couldn't find a lot of other legs I liked. So I wanted to find a way to still play her. I think she has a good chance to get a finish. And then the final play, play number six, it is a parlay. I did one parlay this week. It is two legs, plus 117, Fialho Buckley inside the distance. I mean, come on, that's just violence. That's just a banger. 19 of 23 for Fialho, ain't seen the scorecards. 15 of 21 for Buckley, ain't seen the scorecards. And the second leg, I'm not going to lie to you, no, I'm not going to lie to our audience. I'm a bit uh, hesitant on this leg, but it's Chase Hooper and um, what, what's his full name again? Sorry. Apologies. Nick Fior uh, inside the distance. That's the second leg. 10 out of 15 for Hooper. I've not gone the distance. It's still scary because he when he's gone the distance, they've been like just really weird, sloppy type fights where it looks like he's going to get finished, but then he doesn't somehow. I mean, he's relatively durable, but I still view it as he can definitely get a finish, and I think Nick can finish him. And for Fior, six of his seven haven't gone the distance. I just wanted to take a stab at it. I needed some sort of violence parlay to get my uh, my ticker ticking, if you will, and I like that one the most out of all the options. Mm-hmm. So those are the mm-hmm. six plays. I'm only one shy of you this week, so the closest we've been in terms of numbers and values. Let's see how it goes for us, Noah. Yeah, it does give me a little – I am a bit worried for this one, Dominic. You seem to have much more confidence in the, in the slate than I did coming in. So um, that could go a long way. If you're just seeing the board better, it could be a tough day for me. But I'm, I'm ready to force those blazing wings down your damn throat. Ooh, so, so nasty, Noah. So nasty. Damn. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way to segue into our final segment of the day. That's the only segment we know how to end this show with. A little segment we like to call closing statements. Point of the show where me and Dominic can talk about anything and everything, MMA related or not. Uh, in college, you had watched the previous McGregor documentary that I think had also been put on Netflix. So I wanted to ask you if you had watched any of it yet. If not, will you plan to before potentially McGregor and Michael Chandler, either their season of tough starts or before the fight happens. Yeah, no, it's funny you brought that up. That was going to be my closing statement was to talk about that. So, you know, great minds think alike. That's what they say. And I did start it. I I was uh, on the couch last night. I kind of finished up doing some miscellaneous things. And I'm like, "Ah, what do I want to watch? You know, I'm WWE rewatch. I'm about to be at WrestleMania 20. So I'm like, do I watch an episode of Raw? And then I turned on Netflix just randomly, and I knew that the documentary was coming out. I just didn't know when. Bam, popped right up on my home screen. Didn't even hesitate. I popped that sucker right on. Uh, I watched the first episode. I think there are four of them. I think it documents his last four fights that he's had in the UFC leading into this one that he's about to have with Michael. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I definitely am going to watch the other three, probably get another one in tonight. Very high quality stuff. I wouldn't have expected anything other than that. Netflix seems to do a good job at um, like documentaries and whatnot. And to see, you know, our sport, if you will, MMA, get shine like that on a major streaming service is very cool. I know it's Conor McGregor, but still, the sport is being highlighted. The sport is being documented, 
And I think that's important. And uh, so I just really enjoyed it. A lot of very good behind the scene footage uh, dating back to like 2018. I mean, obviously they have like clips of Connor from longer ago than that, but they've been filming this for quite some time now, almost five whole years going on six years. So really cool stuff that we hadn't seen before. Good sound bites that I hadn't heard before. I very much enjoyed this first episode and I'm definitely going to finish it. No, if you, I don't know if you said it or not, I'm already blanking, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. it. It's very good through one episode so far, about 55 minutes. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I will. I don't know if it'll be before the season of Tup starts. Might be something that I. It takes me a while to get into to watch like a new, even though it's a mini series, to like get into that. Like for all I know, it's going to take me a whole year to watch it. But I will at some point. And it's funny that you mentioned how, yeah, it's nice to see our sport being represented by such a big streaming service like Netflix. Dominic, I saw a bunch of people complaining online. When this documentary dropped, Netflix didn't even have it shown on the homepage. What's going on there? No no respect for MMA. Yeah, well, well, shit. Right when I tried to hype him up for doing good for our sport, you dropped that on me. And, well, I don't know what to say for that, Noah. I, I don't know. Also, really fast, really fast. I know you said it takes you a while to get into these. For what it's worth, when you read the description, it's titled as a limited series. So I don't know how long it's going to be on there. So just be mindful is all as well. What, is a limited series mean that it's got a shelf life? What the hell does that mean? I think so. I know they post shit on there, and sometimes you get back on it, it ain't on there. I don't know. It's made by them. I don't feel like they should take it off, but that's just what it said, and I haven't noticed that with many others. So just be careful. I don't want you to miss out. I don't. You're you're treating this like it's a damn carton of eggs. Like you're like like the McGregor documentary is gonna spoil if I don't watch it in a couple weeks. Like it's a damn loaf of white bread. I mean, why? Because it's a limited series. Well, that just means it's a short series. It's four episodes. That ain't like a that ain't like the damn Walking Dead that's been going on for my whole fucking life. Come on, Dominic. Yeah, well, I, I hope not then, Noah. Cheesh, man. You're getting so nasty on me to finish out the episode. Damn. <laughs> uh, anyways, my name's Noah Baker. That's Dominic Slee. We are but just two of the below average Joes, and we will see you guys on... Monday.